Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of Hashtag Clocked In with me, your host, Jordan Edwards. I'm thrilled to have you tune in as we dive into the dynamic world of productivity, success, and stories of incredible individuals who've mastered the art of getting things done. Whether you're commuting, hitting the gym, or just relaxing at home, this podcast is the go-to source for inspiration and actionable tips to level up your productivity game. I'm on a mission to unravel the secrets of those who seem to effortlessly manage their time and achieve their goals. So if you're ready to clock in and unlock your full potential, you're in the right place. We've got a lineup of amazing guests, industry experts, and thought leaders who will share their insights and strategies to help us crush your to-do list and make the most out of every moment. Get ready to get inspired, motivated, and equipped with the tools you need to supercharge your productivity. This is Hashtag Clocked In with Jordan Edwards. Let's dive in. What's up? It's Clocked In with Jordan Edwards here. Before starting the podcast, I want to give you a special gift an Edwards Consulting introduction coaching session. This is free of charge, and it's because you're listening to the podcast. I hope we were able to do the coaching session, and I look forward to it. Hey, what's going on, guys? Today, we have a special guest. We have Chris from the House of Jordan's podcast and the Card Ladder co-founder. Hey, Chris, how are you doing today? I'm doing well, man. How are you? Good, good. We're excited to have you here on the Clocked In podcast. And one of the big reasons we're having Chris on today is because Chris is doing something revolutionary in the card space. And when I say cards, I mean sports cards. Yes, this isn't a little play around game anymore. It's actually people are making a ton of money and there are a lot of jobs in it as Chris has created a fairly successful company doing this. And we're going to kind of dive into that because on this podcast, I want to focus on how you don't have to do the nine to five job and you can find a different path like Chris has. So Chris, let's just hear a little bit about where you started and how'd you get back and how'd you get into the sports cards? Yeah. Uh, well, sports cards, uh, was one of my favorite hobbies, pastimes as a kid. And I collected quite a bit, uh, especially during Michael Jordan sort of peak, in the nineties. Um, so I'm 34. So, you know, that was, uh, as during my, you know, eight to 13 year old phase, Michael Jordan was just, uh, you know, a superhero, uh, in the world of sports. And, and I collected him heavily, uh, among other sports cards. I took a break from sports cards, uh, around the time I hit 13, 14, 15, as, as many of us did. Um, right. <laughs> other things became more interesting. And, uh, and I came back in 2016 and I, I came back because at the insistence of my mother, I, I need to do something with all these sports cards that were just sitting in the closet of my childhood bedroom. And, uh, I started going through them and I thought to myself, Hey, I wonder if these are worth anything. How would I go about finding out what they're worth? I started Googling them. I discovered that eBay is this uh, behemoth of a marketplace for sports cards. I began seeing that like the cards are being put in these, these cases, these capsules that have numbers attached to them. What does this mean? Well, that that's grading, uh, the grading 
became a huge thing in those, you know, 20 to 25 years that I was absent from the hobby. And all of a sudden I was like, this is a, a market that um, has a lot of things going for it. Uh, it the, the, but the number one thing going for it was that here's this, this marketplace, this international marketplace uh, that's occurring within eBay. And so, you know, I started finding out that some of the cards I had were worth a little bit of money, but I needed to grade them. I graded some of them, sold off the rest of them. And in, in doing that, you know, it, it started as recreational, but I became obsessed instantly um, with, with the market. I was like, this, this market is fascinating. Um, there's, there's so many interesting dynamics to play. I get it because like, I love sports cards. So I get why this market is strong. And so I, I just, it, it snowballed from there. Um, I started collecting again. I started hunting out the cards that I always wanted to buy as a kid, but that I couldn't afford. Um, and I started acquiring those and, then the market kept getting stronger and stronger because my story is not unique. Um, there's, there's thousands of people uh, in my age range who had a very similar uh, experience where they took extended breaks from the hobby and then they came back in the, in the early 2010s and then later on like me in like 2016, 2017. And people are still coming back in droves today. Definitely. So that kind of gets us up to where we are right now is like, in in a nutshell, that's that's pretty much what happened. Definitely. And did you? So the real rave again started in 2010 because I collected as a as a kid too. And I I'm I know first thing is when I get home to New Jersey, I'm going to look through my cards to see if there's anything valuable in there. Um, yeah. No. And, and dude, it, it, that's a rabbit hole that is so much fun to go down. And it it just uh it can be very addicting it like it when, when i first started going through my cards like i didn't do anything for two weeks like i just <laughs> laid them all out I, I had to run and get a whole new set of top loaders and penny sleeves just to start storing them i started sorting them i started oh i just went nuts uh so just be aware that that can that can happen but uh the 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 thing is about um coming back to cards is that there's 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 a great market and it's very exciting and invigorating but it's also just it's just fun um that's one of the fundamentals i think that supports our market is that it's it's just nostalgic it's fun uh is is one great collector puts it uh in the hobby uh your homework is watching sports um that's 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 how you do well is you wa- you have to watch sports uh that sounds like the most fun homework in the world to me. So I, I, I kind of lost the thrust of your question there as I began rambling. Maybe you could steer me back here. No, you're good. You're good. Uh, I just enjoy your energy. But back to where we were, where, when did these car, were you late in 2016 or uh, was, when did the rush start? And to give everyone a better uh, perspective of where we are, what sports are we referring to? Terrific questions. So uh, it's going to be hard to peg like when the sports card market, or as we sort of colloquially refer to it as the hobby, um, when it had its like boom moments, I think that boom moment kind of began in 2019 and has, has carried over into 2020. Um, so it's the boom is, is new. I think if we're looking systemically, if we're looking hobby wide across multiple sports and multiple segments, but uh, 
for basketball cards, which is my niche, and in particular, Michael Jordan collecting, which is, you know, one of the players that I collect extensively, uh, that began uh, experiencing um, uh, market upticks as early as like 2012. Uh, and it, in, in that market, not to get too much in, into the weeds of that market, but that market had a small boom in 2012, then it retreated um, and it cooled off in 2013 and 2014. In 2015, um, and I'm, I'm pulling this information uh, from different surveys that I've seen conducted in different collector groups. Uh, in 2015 is when we began seeing large numbers of Michael Jordan collectors reveal that they returned to the hobby. Um, in 2016, the number increased further. Um, in 2017, it increased yet again. 2018 and 2019 were on par with 2017. And then 2020 um, is by far the biggest year yet for Michael Jordan collectors returning to the hobby as far as like survey data and some of these collector groups reveals. And the, the main reason for that, I think, is the Last Dance documentary. Um, brought a lot of Michael Jordan collectors back. So like there's a little snapshot of the Jordan card market is that we continually see increasing numbers of people come back year after year. And then we look at their demographics because we, you know, we ask people to provide that information and people are typically in the 35 to 45 year old age bracket. And there's a lot of optimism about that particular age bracket and that space because these guys like myself absolutely love sports cards. Uh, perhaps we might describe it as an addiction. And uh, there, there's a lot of optimism surrounding the fact that the age bracket of these people who are coming in um, portends increasing earning power for these people as they get older. So, you know, depending upon which research you look at, the peak earning power for males is usually in their early 50s. And so, we're looking at a group of collectors who are going to increasingly have more and more income available to, to buy cards as these years roll on. And so, and that's one of the, the theories behind why these prices for Michael Jordan cards in particular have seemed to go up. So, so that's like one little snapshot of one player's market. I, I could maybe talk about some other markets too, if, if, if you want, but, but they, I, I think that's like, generally yeah, yeah that was that was yeah. very interesting and when you dive in it's good because it explains how in-depth this is so i i didn't understand this at all i got approached by a buddy to bring in uh to go in on a paid manning card and i go i don't know man and i went to one of these card shows fascinating fascinating you go and everyone's looking now the one thing that comes up is with these cards every Okay, so with the stock market, there is the S&P 500, the, each individual stock. You see the tickers. You see the graphs. It makes sense. With cards, where I was confused is the fact that people would just check eBay and they go, oh, here's a price correlation. Chris, can you elaborate? What's going on there? I Okay, so a uh, little background myself so I can tell a little story. Um, I I recently graduated from law school. I, I was the, the old student in the classroom. I definitely had a professor or two who may have been younger than me. Uh, but while I was in law school, I, I had great friends that I made there. We were at a party one night um, and uh, I was trying to, this, this was in 2019. 
right after the Michael Jordan PMG Green, which is perhaps the most iconic Michael Jordan car. What does PMG mean? It stands. For, it's, it's the name of this of the parallel set that the card okay. comes from, and it stands okay. for Precious Metal Gems. Okay. And the card had just sold for several hundred thousand dollars, and I was like so intrigued by this, fascinated. The last time the card had sold uh, in a publicly documented online transaction was for around $5,000 in 2007. So we saw a return um, on that card that was, uh, you know, just uh, mind boggling um, it, it, uh, it beyond belief. So I was fascinated by this. And so I was trying to convey it to my friends and show them like how exciting this is to me. And, but I didn't have any tools to do it. Like, how was I going to convey this? Like, what was I going to do? You know, go to an auction uh, research database and show them the sale from 2007 and then pull up eBay and be like, look, here's what the completed auction sold for. And then like, look, here's a Chicago Tribune's article, Tribune article on it and stuff like, and I tried to tell the story of what was happening with this card, but the information was too piecemeal. And people, you know, people have a limited attention span. You, you, you have to be able to tell a story like that quickly or else people's eyes begin to glaze over. So I recognized then and there uh, something that I had sort of already known, but it was confirmed, which is it's very hard. It's going to be very hard without a better storytelling mechanism to convey what is happening in the hobby right now to a layperson. And 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 that's you know similar to I think what you experienced is that it, it it the only way you can convey this is you have to pull out an eBay app and like search something and scroll sold and completed listings and like explain what's going on and try and tell the story that way. It it's very difficult for for people to see it. But uh, there's so I hope it's okay if I do a, a small uh, perhaps a shameless plug here. But uh, what what myself, uh, my great friend, Josh Johnson, several others have created is a, a, a website called Card Ladder. And it's designed, as, as you referred to, among other things, provide a sort of stock market uh, 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 logic to understanding what's happening with cards. So for example, if you go to Google and you type in Tesla, one of the very first results you're going to see is information about the stock and you're going to see a graph that displays and allows you to toggle between different time periods of that stock's financial performance over time. And we wanted to, among other things, create that same functionality for sports cards. So now, if you go to our website, CardLadder, and you CardLadder.com, and you type in Michael Jordan PMG Green, uh, you will go to its equivalent of Tesla's Google search result. It will take you to a profile of the card. You will see a picture of it so you know exactly what it looks like. And then you will see a graph and a graphical representation of its historical sales data. And then we sort of take it a step further analytics-wise because for an item like that, there only 10 copies were made. So it's very rare that one comes to market. But that doesn't mean that the market price isn't fluctuating over time. So one of the thing, one of the additional analytical services we provide is we um, use something called historically correlated multipliers 
and I won't go into the weeds on that <laughs> right now, but you could look into it if you want. I have like a 30 minute video explaining it that you can access from our site, but it, it's a tool that allows us to predict um, current market value on, on items that don't sell very often. So, you know, there's pretty much every tool that we could think of that a person would want to know about a card. What is its sales history? What does it look like? And what is its value today, even if it hasn't sold recently? We try to provide that information. And then to boot, you know, the, the card profile is also kind of like a Wikipedia page for the card because we supply information to other sources online that tell you about the product that the card came from, the set, in other words, that the card came from, news articles that have covered that particular card or that particular set that are relevant, videos that show you know, this product in more detail if that exists, or the card. Uh, so, so, so that's why like, I'm really excited about what we're doing with Card Ladder because you can, like, then you can take a screenshot of a card's profile, and we have thousands of cards that have profiles and we keep adding more. You can take a screenshot of it. You can say, here's what it looks like. Here's what its sales history looks like. You know, and here's some information about the card. You just take a screenshot of that and send it to your friends or your family members who might be curious about how do cards work. And a, a picture of the card plus a graph of its sales history tells that story in a way that we just weren't able to tell it before. Definitely. And it made a drastic impact for me too. Because once I saw the card ladder, uh, once I saw what you guys were doing, it, it blew me away because it made sense what a lot of people do is there's a lot of people getting into stocks, for example. Why? Because Robinhood is so easy. A lot of people are now getting into cards, but they're a little bit more advanced. They might know about sports or they might be an investor looking into it. So you're kind of bridging that gap, which I really appreciate. And I, I think the whole hobby appreciates it. So I think for the group that would be good is, can we just get a quick example? Like we've talked about a card, but let's use an individual, a person, and kind of elaborate how that moves up and down and what causes that. And for example, why, why would Payne Manning go up? Or why would a current, is it better to go current athlete or retired athlete? What's the difference? Oh, great, great question. That question can become very complicated very quickly. Um, and, and it's, but it also can be very simple. So like Peyton Manning would be someone who's great to talk about because there's a number of like readily apparent factors that are pushing his market up right now. Um, one is that, uh, and this is, this is sort of the logic of sports card collecting. And, and, and the way to tap into that as a side note is to join social media. Uh, there, there is a robust community of tens of thousands of active uh, sports card content creators, whether they're just posting pictures of their cards or they're making full-blown podcasts on Instagram. Uh, there's hundreds of thousands in various groups on Facebook. Uh, Twitter, I'm not quite sure of how many exist on there, but it's, it's, it's a lot. And then there's message board sources too. So like tap into these resources immediately and use hashtags to navigate and, and, and searches to navigate your way to the areas of content that you want to look at. And so I bring that up because like, here's one reason why it was fairly predictable. Uh, of course, hindsight being 2020 that Peyton Manning cards would increase. And one of the first leading indicators of that was that Tom Brady cards uh, continued to increase. And there's a lot of um, interplayer comparisons that happen 
that when as people try to decide how much money they should spend on a Peyton and on a highly collectible Peyton Manning item. And one of the things people are going to look at is like, well, Peyton Manning for many people is, is an all time great quarterback. Um, and, and so when they try to figure out what Peyton Manning should be worth, they look at the values of some of his contemporaries and Tom Brady being the key one. And so as Tom Brady cards went up, um, a lot of hobby, hobby wisdom or hobby conventional wisdom would, would dictate that someone like Peyton Manning would be soon to follow. So that's, that's one explanatory tool for why paid Manning was going up. Another one is that he, um, correct me if I'm wrong on this, but I believe he has like a Hall of Fame induction coming up soon. Exactly. Uh, so that's, um, that, that, that's another piece of conventional hobby wisdom that uh, leads people to uh, acquire his cards in anticipation of increased collector interest in Peyton when he has his hall of fame induction moment, when for an extended period of time, all of the major sports media outlets will be reliving, reviving, um, connecting to and displaying all of his great accomplishments. We'll be seeing highlight reel up their highlight reel. I'm sure NFL network will have documentaries. And, 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 and so that, that uh, the present, the, an, an all-time great athlete having a presence um, in the mainstream media, mainstream sports media for an extended period of time uh, creates new interest. It, it sends thousands of people searching eBay to look for his cards who maybe hadn't thought to look for his cards recently. And it, and it creates an increase in his market. That's, that's empirically documented. Um, it, it, it happens without fail every Super Bowl. You know, if, if a team like the 49ers goes to the Super Bowl, like they did this year, you're going to see upticks in Jerry Rice and Joe Montana stuff. It just brings back the nostalgia of the great players and the great teams. Um, so these things happen. Uh, it, a player having a, a, a big presence in the media will drive more people to go look up their cards and it will generally create an increase in their market. Um, but, but there's other fundamentals too that are less obvious maybe such as like, like what, what we saw with Michael Jordan cards that, uh, people with purchasing power and a nostalgic childhood connection to those cards returned to the hobby uh, independently and simultaneously. Peyton Manning is is uh, also from an era, and he dominated an era of football that may very well likely see something similar, um, especially as time rolls on and people who experience Peyton Manning in his prime. See, I'm a Chicago Bears fan, so I'm you know I, my vivid memory of Peyton was the Super Bowl loss. But, um, you know, there's, there's many people who have a lot of fond sports memories of Peyton. And so Peyton's rookie year is 1998. That was a terrific year for sports card products. Um, his Topps Chrome rookie is gorgeous. Um, I'm actually, before we got on this call, I was researching his Bowman's Best rookie cards from 1998. There's an atomic refractor of that card that's absolutely gorgeous. Um, and so that leads me into maybe one more factor here that that matters that comes to me off the top of my head which is uh these items uh are collectibles and they have artistic value to many collectors so what the card looks like and its place in the sports card canon matters um what the, what the card looks like is it is it aesthetically appealing how does it compare to his other important cards that are from 
key sets and key brands. Uh, that stuff matters a lot too. So it, Peyton has some very nicely made cards and sports, the artistic dimension of sports uh, relates to both the design and the integrity of the artwork of the design, but also the manufacturing technology. Uh, in the late nineties remains the zenith of manufacturing prowess in sports cards. And there's, there's reasons for that, but the main one being that extensive budgets were allocated to making the most innovative, flashy, uh, eye-catching designs during the late 90s. And then those budgets began shifting in the early 2000s to focusing on autographs and other things that the industry calls player assets, such as pieces of jerseys that are included into cards and stuff like that. But the late 90s was the peak of artistry in sports cards and Peyton Manning, some of his most important cards come from that era. So there's, there's a few factors here that, that we can look at and kind of try to explain what's going on with Peyton's market. Definitely. And you have a lot of, and you were mentioning before that a lot of the people looking for these are 35 to 45. So they have increased income. So can you explain why some of the current players are getting a lot of attention? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, there, a lot of the 35 to 45 year olds, you know, as I'm on the outer, I'm on the periphery of that group, but, uh, I can speak to it. Um, we, we, we come back into the hobby perhaps through a nostalgic connection to a player or to an era of sports cards. But once we're back in, we want a piece of the action that's happening every day. Uh, so I, uh, after uh, <laughs> stubbornly collecting Michael Jordan only for, for years uh, after I returned, uh, I decided to, to take on a new player. Um, and so it, it was an NBA athlete. For the duration of 2018-19 NBA season, I watched uh, on League Pass uh, with increasing interest, Luka Doncic. And I studied his career trajectory prior to coming to the NBA. And I looked at uh, the arc that he was having over the course of that season. I looked at how many all-star votes he received. I looked at the international fan base that he had. I just looked at his progression as a player. And uh, he became somebody that I became interested in collecting. And so, uh, so I did. Um, and so I, and, and, and then I now have, parallel collecting interests. I have Michael Jordan on the one hand and then running alongside him are, is Luka Doncic. And, and now I'm, I'm, I'm voyaging into football collecting as well. So as you get deeper and deeper in um, there's, there's a lot of pieces of information to master about different segments of the hobby. So it, you know, I wouldn't, that's why maybe I'm overly cautious, but you know, it's, it's, it behooves one to take time to master different segments, uh, not just jump right in. But I think what happens is a lot of us came into the hobby. We did very well, um, mostly just because we may have gotten in early. It's better to be early than good in this hobby, as I say. But uh, And and then we decided we want to have some fun uh, and we want to collect active players. And once you start collecting active players, um, it's a whole different experience. You're, you're tracking a player is, and you have a stake in that player's career and their performance. Um, but, but it becomes uh, dangerous because people can begin to take it too seriously. 
um, in, 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 in it, the fun factor can be replaced by uh, having by risking too much on a player and it becomes gambling for some people. Uh, it should never get to that. It should always be fun. Uh, it, it should, you should always be enjoying yourself as you're collected a player. If, if a player gets injured and it like causes, a, which can happen, or, or a player just doesn't pan out, it should, it should not uh, devastate you, right? So like you have to have the right balance. I, I like to put that caveat in there, but the, that's my roundabout way of, of answering your question that how do, do people come to collect modern players? Well, that's how it worked for me was, was I, it, it, it gave me a way to enjoy the hobby on a whole nother level. And I suspect it's that way for several others as well. And are a lot of these people going in for investment reasons or are they doing it because they want to be part of this player's career? I mean, a lot of it is your whole, like you, you go and maybe you put, you buy a Luca in 2018. It's a couple hundred bucks. Now it's a couple thousand bucks. Are you going to sell the, like, you know what I mean? Are people going in for the money or it's, Hey guys, look at what I have. Yeah, uh, there is certainly a dichotomy in the hobby uh, that could be best summed up as on the one hand, you have investors and on the other hand, you have collectors. Um, The great irony of that dichotomy is that they both need to understand each other and they they and they both work in a symbiotic fashion. So what makes cards have investment value? And the thing that makes them have value is that they're collectible, that ultimately uh, there will be somebody who pays a market price for a card and then the buck stops there and they don't sell it. And that card stays with them and they, because, they, because it gives them intrinsic value and they want to own it for maybe because they see it as a piece of art, maybe because they see it as a historical artifact, maybe because it's a pastime that they enjoy with their kids or their friends. Uh, maybe because it allows them to flex on Instagram and social media, but there are a number of levels on, or it allows them to connect to an athlete. Uh, there's a number of levels on which uh, sports cards have intrinsic value, but they all relate to the collectability of cards. So c- the collectability of cards is a very important fundamental that enables these items to have investment value. But uh, collectors need tools and they need ways to understand what the market value of a card is. And investors bring uh, a lot of analytical savvy and intelligence to the table in buying, selling, and trading sports cards that allows us to set market prices through transactions that that makes it uh, possible to create hierarchies so that we can know uh, which cards are most important, which cards are most valued. Um, so, and, and that allows collectors and everybody to, you know, order their preferences accordingly. So both entities matter a lot, but the, whether you're coming in as an investor or a collector, it certainly behooves you to understand what the fundamentals are that gives value to these items in the first place. So it, it makes uh, a, a lot of sense uh, whether one is coming in to sports cars as an investment or as a collector uh, to understand why this market works the way it does. And I've found, ironically, 
that the the way to uh, to realize great financial success with sports cards is to think as a collector thinks, because collectors are constantly seeking items that are scarce, that are iconic, and that when people acquire them, they don't want to sell them. Those are the items that, especially over the long haul, uh, it would seem are going to have the best markets, the, the most robust markets, the most demand going forward. But in, allow me to put a footnote on this discussion. Um, there is definitely a transactional dimension to the hobby as well that's relatively new, but that's relatively a larger share of it than it historically has been. And the transactional nature is that people uh, just sort of collectively agree that they're in, in, in basketball, it's the prism base card, that there will be one item that will sort of be the proxy for a stock or, or that will double as a stock market for the player. And so this one card becomes a, a commodity. Um, that gets transacted hundreds of times a week. You know, for Luca, it's his 2018 Prism base card in a PSA 10 grade. That card gets transacted hundreds of times a week. It is used as a measuring stick for the performance of his market. Uh, there are over 13,000 PSA 10 copies in existence. The card currently trades at around $1,500. Uh, it has one of the highest market caps of any card. Uh, in the hobby, it's just it's it it if there was ever anything approximating a stock for this player, it would be that card. And every player, um, especially modern players, have one of these cards that sort of is the 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 stock of this player. And so there's a very transactional nature to that, where a lot of the buying and the selling and the trading that's done of that card is done. Um, with people having the expectation that either this card has reached its peak and therefore I should sell it because it's not going to increase anymore, or this card is still going up or it will go up in the future. So I'm going to buy copies of this card now and hold with the expectation that I will sell it later uh, and it will go up. So, so there's, there is this transactional dimension to the hobby that has, that has a lot of appeal to it because it's the closest thing we've got and that we could possibly have to uh, a stock uh, for a, a specific player. Yeah, and and with that, so let's use Luca for the example. If he goes off and they have a great game, is that card just going to fluctuate up to fifteen fifty, or if they get out of the playoffs, it's fourteen fifty? Is it is it that time? It can. Um, and sometimes it, so this market, uh, just like any mark, any financial market, I presume, but sports cards, it's very difficult to time, uh, time the market. And it's difficult to sell the peak and buy the dip. Uh, it, it can be done, but it requires it, it, at a minimum it requires a bit of luck. Well, so, I was more, I was more referring to if I have a live player, is he impacted as things are going on? He is. So I'll give uh, two examples. Uh, the first one is uh, Luca had a big game against the Milwaukee Bucks in the seeding round of the bubble, uh, the NBA bubble. And his card market, um, I, I don't know the exact percentage off the top of my head, but I, I think I can conservatively say it went up around 30% 
in response to one game. Uh, now, it, but you know, it was a big game. Uh, the the Mavericks defeated the Bucks, um, and uh, Luca perhaps outplayed Giannis in that game. Uh, he had it was a career game for him, and it sort of was a release um, because there was a the, the, the hobby is perpetually optimistic <laughs> to a fault, and there was a lot of optimism about Luca and a lot of potential and speculation attached to him. And for many buyers uh, and collectors in the hobby, it, it, it materialized or his potential was realized with that, with his performance in that one game. So that set his market on fire. Uh, and, and we can see why uh, that makes sense. It, it increased appetite for it, it increased fandom appetite for his cards, et cetera. But uh, you know, fast forward a little bit. Um, he has the game four, uh, 43, 17 and 13 stat line. He sinks a 28 foot game winner in overtime to defeat Kawhi and Paul George and the Clippers. Uh, you know, one of the all time great playoff performances of recent past in the NBA and his card market did not see the same bump that it saw when he beat Giannis um, in that earlier seeding round game. So in other words, once a player's potential is realized or they even exceed what people thought they were capable of, then a new bar gets set. (laughs) And and then you can have an even more remarkable performance, but it will not cause that player's card market to have the same sort of reaction. And then uh, as you astutely noted, you know, uh, what what would happen when a player gets knocked out of the playoffs? Um, and so the Mavericks have been knocked out, uh, sad to say. And his market has retreated. Um, I I I think his prism based PSA ten peaked at around two thousand dollars for that card. Uh, now it transacts at around fifteen hundred. Um, so you know that's a substantial drop off uh, in value. But to contextualize those figures. Uh, before the seeding games began, the card was trading for south of a thousand dollars. So you know, we and anybody who bought that card prior to the bubble beginning uh, has has seen it go from maybe nine hundred dollars to fifteen hundred. But if you bought it at the peak after the Bucks game, you've seen it go from two thousand down to fifteen hundred. So it can fluctuate in either direction. But let me give you a great example of. Of, of how it's difficult to time this market. And I'm going to use Patrick Mahomes as the example. So Mahomes uh, going into last season, his key rookie card, which is the 2017 prison base card for him in a PSA 10 case uh, was selling for around $500. Uh, the season began, he started doing very well. The card got all the way up to around $1,500 he got injured. The card retreated to $800. So like we're seeing fluctuations that correlate with on-field performance and on-field activities. The Chiefs have a terrific playoff run. He is brilliant in the playoff run. Card uh, recovers all the way back up to $1,500. We get to the day of the Super Bowl. Um, before the game happens, on the day of the Super Bowl, the card sells for an average of $1,726. It had 17 transactions on that day. So that was a very uh, active day for that particular card. 
he wins the Super Bowl. He gets Super Bowl MVP. I mean, he he literally could have done nothing more. I mean, he absolutely achieved the ultimate accomplishment, especially for a young player. He's looking like the next Tom Brady. What more possible optimism or enthusiasm could a player garner uh, in his position? I mean, it was amazing. And yet, the week after the Super Bowl, after his card had peaked at $1,726, on Monday it goes down to $1,500. Tuesday it goes down to $1,300. By the end of the week, the card is trading for $1,100. And so that is the counterintuitive instance. And you would ask yourself, why would a player who just accomplished everything they possibly could, that we could dream of that player accomplishing, why would their market retreat 50%? And the reason why is because, uh, you know, this is part of the investment dimension of the hobby. And, and this is just my explanation. It, it might be wrong, but I, I think the reason why that happened was the market was flooded. And there was a whole bunch of people holding on to Mahomes cards who said, now is a great time to sell because this player will never be hotter, or at least he won't be hotter for the near future. Well, if you get enough people thinking that way, you flood the market. And no matter how much the demand has increased, if like half the people who are holding that card want to move it all of a sudden, uh, the laws of supply and demand remain undefeated. So the, the card dipped down to 1100 But here's, here's the great moral or the great part of that story. That card today trades for between seven and $8,000. So yeah. if you were a collector who picked up that card, you said, okay, fine. I'm finally going to get on the Mahomes train. I'm late, but screw it. I'm going to buy into Mahomes. He won a Super Bowl already. Whatever. I need a Mahomes card. If you bought it at 1100 or 1500 and you just enjoyed it for the duration of the off season, it's now worth between seven and $8,000. So little peek into the the craziness of this hobby yeah it sounds like it was very close to the seasonal hype so since the season was dying down no one wanted to hop in plus it seems that with most investments the warren buffett approach is king you want to buy and hold which you see is perfect right there so i wanted to dive into uh one other part is so you get this law degree. How do you start a card company? And how do you allow – you just spent so much on this law degree and you're like, okay, let's go into cards. And, and, are, and are you ever going to go back to being a lawyer or utilize this? Oh, maybe. Um, maybe. Uh, I, that, that could definitely happen. Um, but cards is uh, – you know, life is short and there are not – too many things that too many of us just become absolutely passionate about. Uh, there is some pop psychology out there that I think rings true that uh, if you can find things in life that you can professionalize in that relate to things that you cared about on a visceral level as a child before anybody was like, before you ever felt the external pressure to like pick something, you sort of organically gravitated to it. You know, for some people that might be writing, uh, for some people that that might be um, sports, or for some people that that might be medicine. You know, I've I have friends who just even as kids gravitated to, um, you know, things that relate to the medical field, like 
you know, anatomy and studying insects and stuff like people just, and when we're kids, we, we get this insight into things that we're just organically naturally passionate about. And, you know, uh, clearly for me, uh, sports cards was, was huge, uh, for me as a kid. And, and I, as I, you know, think about what, what to do, what to spend the majority of my time on, how to spend it. Um, it rings true for me that, uh, finding an opportunity to spend a lot of time doing something I love doing, uh, is, is magnificent and it's worth the extra effort. Uh, and it's worth, you know, the, the extra hours. So like doing what I'm doing right now, you know, I work more hours than I would have ever worked doing something else. Uh, and that's, that's fine. Um, I love it. Uh, but, but a word of caution, uh, in the, so one of the mechanisms that enables the hobby to, to flourish is that it is packed with extremely successful professionals who have a lot of money that they can allocate to enjoying the hobby. Um, and there's, there's a lot of people in this space, you know, I'm talking lawyers, doctors, celebrities, um, who quietly collect and they are important to the, the makeup, the demographic makeup of this hobby. And so, um, these are people who will be very difficult to compete with (laughs) because they have a lot of money and they love the hobby and they want these cards bad. Um, and they know a lot about it too. And they're often people who are very intelligent, sharp people. So, uh, just, just, that's important to know that like, um, we're seeing a tremendous market expansion of the hobby right now. Um, and that's largely due to an influx of new people coming in. And it looks as if that influx is going to continue. Uh, but it, it should be known that like, uh, this hobby in this space is, is, is filled with very smart, savvy people. Um, so, you know, <laughs> I, I would just bear that in mind, um, and, and do your research and your homework and, and learn about the fundamentals of this space, uh, before coming in, uh, or at least before jumping in with two feet, you know, dip a toe in and see how you like it. But, but know that this is, this is a space that's very, very competitive and there's increasingly larger and larger sums being spent on it. Definitely. So for you, how'd you, so you graduate and then how, how do you decide to make this jump into car? Like, well, how are you monetizing on it? Yeah. Like that you made an actual business. Yeah. Well, a lot of good luck factored into that and fortune uh, and being fortunate. So like uh, maybe the first link in the causal chain was beginning a podcast in late 2018, the house of Jordan's podcast, electing to become a content creator. At that time, the the hobby content scene was sparse, to say the least. And so we were able to, despite having not very good content, we were able to gain a foothold. Um, And because there weren't many other places for people to go (laughs) to get basketball card content. And then we started getting a little bit better. Uh, Through that, we developed a network of listeners and friends um, that numbered in the thousands. And... I was able to keep in touch with most of them through the podcast, but if people wanted to interact further and, and many people do, 
um, through group chats on social media and then, you know, through our social media pages, um, in particular Instagram. So like my Instagram account, you know, man, I get hundreds of messages a day over there. I love it. I love talking the hobby with people. And, and so there's a very robust network over there. And over time, then you build relationships with other great hobbyists. And, and one of them was uh, Josh of Cardboard Chronicles. And it just so happened that by profession, he's a developer um, and a very talented one. And so, you know, I sort of brought um, an analytical tack to bear and I, and I some ideas about ways that we could improve the hobby and make it better and fill and serve some needs that exist. And he uh, is, is a far more prominent content creator than I am with a far larger audience than I have. Uh, and he uh, and I, you know, became great friends and we just, especially as COVID um, hit, we chatted about, look, like we've had an ideas about tools and ways that we can improve the hobby. Like, let's try one out. Let's, let's actually bring this to the public. Um, and let's use some of the tools that, that we've been using to build our collections over all these years. Let's like take that wisdom and make it more available to people. And so we collaborated and we started building the site. And uh, as we were building it, I think we recognized we had something special and it took months and months and prototypes and trial and error, but we finally got it to a good place. And we said, all right, let's take this plunge and let's see how this goes. Um, in worst case scenario, it, it doesn't become what we want it to be. And that's fine. Uh, but on the other hand, I think this is serving an important uh, vacancy. It's filling an important vacancy in the hobby. And if it does work, um, you know, it, it would be an absolute thrill to, to, to be able to do this. Um, and so, you know, that's what we did and it worked and it has worked out. Uh, and you just, when that happens, you just count your lucky stars. You, 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 you humble yourself and you work your butt off and you work even harder to uh, make sure that, you know, you can continue to have success. And so we knock on wood and we keep pushing along and we're very grateful to, to the members of our site and the people who frequent our site. Yeah. And that's one of the biggest takeaways from this conversation with Chris and one that I've had prior with him is that he always focuses on the group as a whole and how he can assist in the hobby. And he's not there to go after the monetary Obviously, that comes with it, but it's really the chase of helping everybody. And then eventually, it's networking, it's helping people, and it's kind of just doing your part in the world to help make it a better place. And if you make it a better place for enough people, now we're here and it's a job. Well, not a job, but a career that you're creating on your own, which is really awesome and an inspiration to see. So, Chris, I know you're running low on time. But I got two questions for you. They're going to be quick ones. Favorite card in your collection? And then favorite card that isn't in your collection that you're, you're looking to get soon or in the near future? Wow, those are terrific questions. Uh, you, th that you know how to push the collector's buttons with both of those questions. <laughs> because uh, we're, all of us collectors are vain uh, whether we want to admit it or not about our collections. And so we will sit there and we will spend hours 
picking our best card and then changing our mind. But my, I, I'll, my best card, my favorite card is uh, I have the Michael Jordan PMG Red. So it is the uh, accompaniment to the green that I referenced earlier. The green is out of 10. Uh, it's one of Jordan's most iconic cards, if not his most iconic. I have the red, which is which has 90 copies. Um, so, you know, not it's not on the same scale as the green, but it's a it's a very important card to the Jordan to the Jordan Cannon, and it was a Grail, and it was a card that I never thought I'd own um, because I thought it because it it was always out of my price range. But what happened was I bought so many smaller Michael Jordan cards uh, in my first two years of collecting. And they appreciated so much that I was able to like take stock of my collection and say, look, I have enough equity basically in my collection that if, if I could just convert all these cards to cash, I could go and buy a PMG red if one should ever hit the market. And sure enough, one did. So I began negotiating with the guy who had one. Um, and, uh, and, and I'm, I'm glad I moved on this one too, because there has only been two other copies. This was in 2018. There's only been three copies to hit the market, including mine since 2018. So okay. I, I, I made a move on it. We negotiated a price. I didn't have the money that I agreed to pay, but I said, but I know I have the money in cards. So I liquidated um, a large portion of my PC. Uh, and that's the great thing about sports cards, man. They sell themselves. Uh, so it's, it's selling and selling is fun. It's a great way to meet people, but liquidated the PC acquired the PMG red. That's my, that's my favorite card. And, and, and I think partially for sentimental reasons, I thought I would never own one. Um, but I was able to own one. And then, uh, the, the card that I don't have that I wish I had is the, and I, and I know that I'll never have it because I know the guy who owns it and he's never getting rid of it, but, uh, it's the 2018 Luca prism nebula one of one parallel. It's, in my opinion, Luca's very best card that will ever be made. And uh, is his rookie year one of one from the most iconic brand. And uh, I, like I said, I know the guy who has it. He's not selling it. But that that's the if I could add any card to my PC, it would, it would probably be that one. Chris, this has been awesome. I really appreciate your insight and your knowledge. And I think the the viewers are definitely going to appreciate this as well. Thank you. Thank you for having me on, man. Thank you for reaching the end of the podcast. For that, we'll give you a complimentary coaching session in the link below with Edwards Consulting. Hope to see you there and have a great day and keep clocking in. Thank you for reaching the end of the podcast. For that, we'll give you a complimentary coaching session in the link below with Edwards Consulting. Hope to see you there and have a great day and keep clocking in.